Again, if we haven't met, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. You know, one of my favorite parts of this time of year is all of the Christmas movies. And we all have our favorite Christmas movies. I wonder if for a second you might think of of what yours is. And just so you know, I said you're welcome here, even if Die Hard is your favorite Christmas movie. (laughs) We're not going to have that debate. That's already been had for a month and a half. When I thought of my favorite Christmas movies, I couldn't pick one, and so I picked five, and these are in a particular order. There's, There's Elf, White Christmas, It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Story, and Home Alone, the original. Now, you may not agree, and that's fine. You can be wrong. I'll let you do that. But I, I have all those on my list for specific reasons. And the third one, It's a Wonderful Life, is there for specifically sentimental reasons. Nearly every year on Christmas Eve, our family would go to church. We'd get home late. We'd do some things together. And then I'd find my way to the kitchen. And I'd find a piece of cake or a piece of pie or some junk food. And I'd sit down in front of the TV. We didn't have cable. We didn't have enough money back then to afford that. But NBC every year would show It's a Wonderful Life. And I'd sit down and I'd catch the last 30 or 45 minutes of this movie. If you've seen It's a Wonderful Life any time in your life, you'll remember that it's the story of a guy named George Bailey. And he's a guy like a lot of us. He has big dreams and ambitions. But again and again in George's life, his dreams and ambitions run headlong into reality. He wants to leave his small town of Bedford Falls behind and see the world, but it's his brother that goes away and becomes a war hero. He meets the girl of his dreams who's way out of his league, and somehow he convinces her to marry him. I'm still not sure how that happened. And then he saves up a chunk that they're going to go to a honeymoon on, and the day that they get married is the day the stock market crashes. And he uses that nest egg to save his family's bank and to save all their customers. Moment after moment continues to happen in George's life where, where he's beaten down by the events and circumstances, and this gap emerges between the life he thought he was going to live and the life he ends up living. And there comes to a point in the middle of the film where he just has this, this broken heart, this disappointed life, and he's not certain that his life mattered. He's not certain if it was significant at all that his brother saved his life. He's not certain that maybe things would have been better if he died as a boy. He wonders if any of it matters at all. And he ends up in a very dark place on a bridge. And I think there's a lot of us who choose this movie as one of our favorite movies because we can relate. This year has been a year that's not been the year we expected. Some of us are now at this point in our life looking back on dreams and ambitions we had and coming face to face with the reality that's been given to us. Some of you have been slaving away for 31 or 45 days trying to create the perfect Christmas, and you're not certain that anybody notices or that anybody cares. Maybe you're dealing with a diagnosis this year or an absence at the table this year or a loss this year. And you're wondering, how did I get here? For me, that's been a little bit of of my experience this December. Because I have to tell you, this has been the worst December I've ever had. And I'm typically the guy who is the, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I start watching Elf in October, you know, because I just like it that much. But this year has been really different. 
December started with the loss of a friend to cancer. It continued with our whole family being locked up in our house for five days with flu and croup. This week started at the hospital with my daughter on Tuesday. Wednesday, I got the call before I even sat down at my desk that my son was throwing up and I had to go get him from school. Thursday, my mom went in the hospital. She had a heart attack in October and she went back with heart pain. Friday, my grandfather, who's had three strokes in the last three years, went to the hospital with the flu. And then I got news that one of my best friend's dad has cancer. And if it was one of those things by themselves, it would be okay. But I felt like I'm in a boxing game and I'm facing Mike Tyson and I just keep taking body blows. And so for me this year, if you're coming in this room with pain, man, I have so much empathy for you. If Christmas is hard for you this year, man, I have so much empathy for you. Because that's where I've written this sermon. In the hospital and at home with a mask. On my way to get my son who was throwing up. And sitting across from a friend who's grieving. You know, Star Wars just came out. And the reason why Star Wars was written was George Lucas read a book called A Hero with a Thousand Faces written by a guy named George Joseph Campbell. And in that book, there's a line that I think sums up the opportunity that's present for all of us at Christmas. In that book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell says that we must be willing to let go of the life we planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. We have to let go of the life we planned so as to lay hold of or grab the life that is waiting for us. And many of us, this quote describes our year. We had the year we planned. We had the life we planned. And now we have a life that's waiting for us, that's being offered to us, that doesn't look like the life we expected. And we have an opportunity to let go of our plans and to embrace what God is giving us. And I know of no one who better knows this choice and opportunity than Mary and Joseph. Because after all, they had plans. Their parents had plans that led to their arranged marriage. And when that began, Joseph headed out to begin a building project. Because like any good Jewish boy, he was going to build an extension on his dad's house. And once that was finished, he'd bring Mary home to live there with him. Mary had plans for her wedding day because every young girl has plans for her wedding day. And none of their plans included a visit from an angel to tell them about a divinely ordained and carried about pregnancy. Neither one of them planned to become parents before they became married. And yet that's the news the angel brought. And not just a child, not just an ordinary child, a child that was to become the savior of the world as Jennifer just read to us. And this week, I've been trying to put myself in their shoes thinking, what was going through their mind as they went to Bethlehem? Man, this is not where I planned on being. This is not what I planned on doing. This is not where I thought we would be going on our first trip as a couple. And then they arrived, and there was no room for them in the inn. And so they turned a stable into a birthing center. That would have never passed Pinterest or Instagram for us. And yet that was the place where this child came to dwell. And as I said, it was no ordinary child. In the book of Luke, later on, after where Jen read, 
This is what the angel says about this baby. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then, suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. The angel was, angels were filling the sky, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. See, Jesus' birth is the announcement that in the midst of the chaos and stress and storm of our lives, that God is introducing peace. And that's why for us, this manger carries such significance. See, most of us, when we see a manger, we don't think of a feeding trough. We don't think of a salad bowl. We think of Jesus. But before that day with Mary and Joseph, this was a common, dirty feeding trough. And the only reason it has significance for us is because of who was laid in there and what that means for us. This week, as I've been reflecting on the manger and and trying to come to terms not only with what I would say to you, but God, what are you trying to say to me through all of this stress and chaos pain and grief. I felt like God was saying to me, Scott, the reason that I came to that manger is because I love you. Because I want you to know that amidst those punches, you are not alone. That you matter to me. And that amidst this month, you can have hope. You know, I think it's significant when we look at someone's life to not only look at their words, but others' words about them. When Jesus grows up because he doesn't stay a baby, one of his best friends becomes a man named John. And he's written several books that we have in the Bible. He wrote the biography of Jesus that we call the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation that, by the way, we're not covering this morning. You can be thankful for that. But he also wrote three short letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John, John tells us what Christmas means to him. We don't think of 1st John as a passage about Christmas, but I feel like it is. In 1st John chapter 4, verse 9, this is what John writes. He says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. In verse 10, he says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. See, in the the perspective of John, who walked with Jesus, saw him crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, and was involved in leading the, the believers, the followers of Jesus for decades, he looks back on Christmas, and he says, I see Christmas as the definition of real love. Not that we loved God, and because we loved him, he sent Jesus, but because he loved us. And he wanted us to know that we are loved. If you don't see anything else in the Christmas story this year, I hope you see this, that you are loved. 
that regardless of your circumstances this year, whether you feel like this year was a success or a failure, you're loved. That regardless of if your table is as full as it was last year, if the tree is as beautiful or as filled as it was last year, that regardless if you have the joy that you had last year, you are loved. And that child in the manger is a tangible, visible sign of that. So many of us have a hard time believing these three words. I have a hard time believing it because I don't feel worthy of it. Right? I I don't feel like I matter enough to be worthy of that kind of love. Because I have a son. I have two. And the idea that I would give my son for people I don't know, who don't love me, who haven't been living their life in light of who I am, that's a jagged pill to swallow. that's why the only explanation for this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. That's why we've called this morning Christmas for Prescott. Because we want you to have a moment today, a break from the chaos and the stress and the noise that you might know that you are loved. You say, Scott, why is that so significant? Well, this is why it's so significant. Because our ability to love others is connected to the love we've received. We can't love other people the way they need to be loved if we don't embrace the love God has for us. I have a hunch about your Christmas this year. You're going to sit around the table with some people who are hard to love. Now, don't laugh too loud. They're sitting next to you. You're going to drive home with them and spend the next two days with them. But some of the people that we're closest to are also the people that are hardest to love. And we need a love that goes beyond our natural capacity. See, that's the problem that George Bailey faced. He was trying to love and serve others with his own love. And it took the entrance of a man named Clarence in this fictional story, an angel named Clarence sent by God to show George Bailey how life would be different for everyone if he was not in it. And the moment where everything peaks in the movie, George breaks down and he says, God, I want to live. If you're in a dark place this Christmas, those are the words I've been praying that you would be able to utter because of being here today, that you want to live. Because there's some of you in this room that have questioned whether you do this year. The moment that I always caught every year of It's a Wonderful Life happened in George Bailey's living room where everyone that he had ever loved or served showed up and said, George, this is what you did for me. This is how you mattered to me. And I just want you to know that I love and appreciate you. And it was from that place that George discovered the joy and the wonder of life. All throughout the Christmas season, our church has been in this experience called the Advent Conspiracy. We've been pushing back on the consumerism and the greed and the getting to rediscover the true meaning of Christmas. 
we've talked about how can we worship Jesus fully. How can we spend less on ourselves and not be in debt that lasts until the summer? How can we give more of ourselves away in a way that mirrors Jesus? And finally, how we can love all. Well, before we can love all, we need to experience God's love for us. Before you go love the people you're going to love over the next couple days, those that you're distant from or close to, you need to discover God's love for you. And that's a little bit about about what this painting is that my friend Jenna was working on today. We talked earlier this month about this message, and God bless Jenna, my sermon changed a lot from that lunch conversation. But Jenna was trying to decide what was the medium that she wanted to paint on, and so she went back behind a glass company, and she found a piece of glass that was broken to practice on. She was searching for a word or a picture to to paint, and while she was holding on to this cold piece of broken glass, she remembered the words of the song that we told her would start the morning. The words of Leonard Cohen who wrote that love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. The word hallelujah simply means praise God. And the story of this piece of glass is that this piece of glass was going to be discarded And we had to break it in two so we would have one of these to paint for each service this morning. And as we reflected on the story that got us this glass and this word that that she was going to paint, I was drawn to the experience that so many of us have had at Christmas. That we felt broken. That we felt discarded. That we felt isolated and alone. We've questioned whether we matter to God. We've questioned whether he knows what we're going through or whether he even cares. And we've wondered, am I loved? Well, this morning, my prayer is that you would be able to cry hallelujah this year. It may be a cold hallelujah. It may be a broken hallelujah. You may go on a victory march this year or you may stumble through that march. But if you leave today hearing anything, this is what I believe God brought me through all I've been through this month, to hear for myself and to share with you that you matter to God, that you are not alone, that he sent Jesus to become near to you and present among you. That hope is real and possible and you are loved. That from wherever you are today, you can cry out and sing hallelujah because he loves you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you meet us where we are. And God, I believe that there are some people sitting in this room and watching online who have known those words, that love is not a victory march, that it's a cold and broken hallelujah. And I believe you've brought them here today 
so that they can come home to you, so they can experience your grace and your peace. If you're here in this room this morning and, and that's your story, that's where you are and you long to discover the love and peace that God has for you, if you want to exchange the life you planned for the life that's waiting for you in Him, then I want to pray for you this morning. And I'd love to know who you are, and I'd love, if you would, to raise your hand so that I could know that you're here and you want to discover that love and peace for yourself. That you want to know that you're not alone. If you're ready to embrace that love and that peace, would you raise your hand right now? Thank you. I'd like to pray with you this morning a simple prayer. And if you would, repeat these words after me in your heart. God, I've been on a march through pain and darkness. I feel broken. And yet, I know you love me. I know that you sent Jesus as a sign that you love me. And I want to come home this Christmas. So I give you my life, the life that I planned. I pray that you would forgive my sins. You cleanse me and heal me that you'd take my brokenness and make me whole. And that you would come near to me this Christmas. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray.